All right, today we are looking at, uh, we're continuing in the book of Mark. We saw Jesus last week in the Garden of Gethsemane. We saw this debate of the, the disciples as they, they wrestle with their own temptation and their attempts to, uh, to offer promises to Christ of faithfulness. And today uh, we're going to see that the devastating story of Jesus' betrayal. Jesus' betrayal. And this story is, is ingrained in the culture. The, that kind of infamous betrayal by the kiss. Judas betraying the Lord. We see this everywhere. We see this everywhere. Uh, Casey and I were reading a book just, just a couple nights ago, and it's a science fiction novel. It shouldn't have any of this, but the main character is betrayed with a kiss. You know, like, that's just, that's just how it is. And uh, when you're looking at this this morning and saying, okay, why is it so powerful that that was how Jesus was betrayed? Why do we, why do we care about this so much? And even more than that, what does it show about who Jesus is and what he came to do? What does it show about that, that Jesus is brought forth on these kinds of charges by this mob and by a betrayer? And finally, how are we called to respond to this? What does it mean for us to watch Jesus be betrayed and to, to see him take on this role and, and passively submit to all of it? What does that mean for us and, and how do we respond? Now, Jesus today, he, he's, he knows all of the things that are going to happen. He knows that he is going to be betrayed. He sees scripture laid out before him, and he submits to it as a submission to his father's will. So that he could submit to this, so that he might have the ultimate victory in his resurrection from the dead. All right. So let's see this. Let's see how he does it. Uh, Mark 14, verses 43 through 52. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. Father, as, as much as it pains us to say, we, we thank you for the betrayal of Jesus. We thank you that he submitted to, to all of these things. Father, we thank you that he came as one who is able and willing to submit to your will to the utmost. And Father, we say that recognizing that we struggle to walk in those same footsteps. And we thank you that we do not have to be the saviors, but we get to watch Jesus fulfill and redeem 
and be the perfect one that we might receive all of the, the glories of salvation. Father, I ask that you'd show us what we can take from this passage. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see the things and how they apply to ourselves? And Father, would you use these that you may receive glory, that Jesus may be lifted up, and that we may praise him more fully? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So again, let's look at this, this nature of the betrayal here, this, this kiss of Judas Immediately while he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and scribes and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him, and lead him away under guard. When he came, he went up to him and once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid on, hands on him and seized him. All right. All right, why is it so important that Jesus was betrayed with a kiss? It's, it really, it, it seals the betrayal. It seals the betrayal because he was attacked and identified by a kiss. It, it makes it all the more painful and real. All right, so you might have enemies. You might have enemies. But you know your enemies well enough to not let them kiss you. All right? You don't go up to your, your enemies and give them big hugs. You know, maybe they'll gossip behind your back. Maybe they'll stab you in the back. Maybe they'll sucker punch you in the back of the head, all right? That's our enemies. That's the, what we expect. All right, but the big betrayal here is that this is, a, this is a friend. This is one who loves. This is one who is on the same side. The only way to betray is to get close and to be, to be with and to be in fellowship. Now, remind us that Jesus, he, he was not surprised at this happening. If we look back and, and we see Jesus again and again saying that he's going to be crucified and every single time, what does he say? He says, My, I will be betrayed. I will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. He knows the nature of how he's going to be brought forth and, and brought before these men. We just saw Mark 14. We saw that when it was evening, he came with the twelve and as he was reclining with the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. All right, he knows. He knows that throughout his whole ministry here on, on earth, that he is ministering to one of his betrayers. Just before this, just a couple verses, Mark 14, 41 through 42. He came the third time and said to him, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Now all of this he knows, not just by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but also through the scriptures, Psalm 41, 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heels against me. This is the messianic prophecy that Judas would do just, just what he has done, that he would betray him. Now, this is uh, the working out of all the things we saw last week. Jesus came before his father, and he asked, my, my, not my will, but your will be done. And he said that he would submit to his father, and that he would do whatever it takes. And here he is then, silent before this one who he knows is going to betray him. 
and he lets him come and kiss him on the cheek. This is his submission to the will of his father. Even though he knows all of these things are going to happen. Now, I, I remind us that, all right, Jesus, he, he could have dodged the kiss. He could, have, he could have done a thousand things to prevent this from happening. Throughout his, old, his whole earthly ministry, he could, have, he could have passed by Judas. He could have guarded his heart. He could have kept Judas at arm's length. He could have withheld the secrets of the kingdom from him. He could have not sent him out to do miracles. He could have never ministered to this man. And that's where, as we start to see it, we see that, all right, this is, a, this is not just one act of submission. This is so much of Jesus' life that he is giving himself over to sinners and to betrayers. That to come and incarnate is to do that. To be here on this earth is to, is to be in the presence of betrayers and sinners and open himself up to men who would destroy him and kill him, to love the one who would betray him, to receive the kiss, not just that time, but every time before, knowing that it would lead to his own betrayal and all of this so that he might fulfill the scripture. All right. I remind us just, to what extent do you see that the the obedience to the revealed will of God so highly that like you would you'd turn your face away and, and ig- ignore the one who is coming to betray you, to murder and kill you, the one who's plotting against you and instead, you know, I'm, I'm going to love them every step of the way. Right, that is the difference between us and Jesus, is he actually does that. He cares that much about submission to, to his Father's will. He cares that much about fulfilling the scriptures that he knows he has to be betrayed and step by step he does it. This week I was reflecting on, um, all right, this is a great act of obedience, to sit there and take the betrayal. Right. And we think, well, I, I want to do great acts of obedience and faithfulness. Right. Right. Obedience is lived out in, in a day-by-day, step-by-step submission to the will of God. That if we're going to prepare ourselves for these great acts of sacrifice and submission, it starts with talking to the person right next to you with with grace and love. It means driving under the grace of Jesus. It means doing your job in a way that reflects the nature of the kingdom. It's a day-by-day, step-by-step, moment-by-moment obedience that, that builds faithfulness. If we're willing to sacrifice the the smaller commandments, why, why do we think we're going to be built up and, and obey the huge ones? All right, Jesus, he, he epitomizes this, this day-by-day loving of the one who would betray him. All right, so there is a reflection here of, okay, you, you are supposed to imitate Christ, but uh, to what extent are you supposed to allow for your own betrayal? All right, there are no prophecies calling you to be betrayed. All right, you are, you are not going to fulfill scripture. If you know someone is going to betray you, you are not called to just sit there and do nothing about it. That's not your role. You are not Jesus. 
All right, just making that clear. Uh, but I remind you, I remind you, to show grace is at least to open ourselves up to this kind of betrayal. That is the cost of real grace and love. You cannot show grace and expect that you have guarded yourself from every betrayal. You have guarded yourself from being hurt. You have guarded yourself from being taken advantage of. That's not the nature of grace. I think of someone who like, opened up their home and, and loved this person and kept loving them, and they were totally destroyed by it. Should they have not done it? No, they, they did exactly what they were called to do. They loved and they gave grace. But we recognize that, yeah, that can be betrayed. And too often, I think, we, we have closed ourselves off from, from every kiss, from every love, from really calling, or really like obeying, obeying these commandments so that we might protect ourselves. Right. Then we look at Jesus, and he is, has opened himself up to Judas, his betrayer. He has loved him. He has received every kiss along the way. He has ministered so faithfully to this man only to be rejected. That is the reality of ministering to people. That is the reality of loving people. That is the reality of showing grace. All right, I would call us. All right, are you too wise to actually love people? Are you too self-protective to actually show people grace? Are you too proud to be taken advantage of that you would never love, you would never give yourself, you would never actually pour out grace upon another person because you can't control it. I think of our mercy ministry. And, in, and we, we, we give real gifts to people. We could attach so many strings to those things and turn them into puppets and lead people along and, and micromanage all of this. All right, that would not be grace, that would not be love. If it cannot be taken advantage of, then it, it hasn't really fulfilled this great law of love that we're called to. How are you called to love differently and love more? That you might be betrayed to the glory of Christ. Now that's one application. Uh, on the other side of this, the reality of this is that there are people maybe even people in this congregation who have been brought near to Christ. You've been given all of the promises. Like we, just, we just looked at the baptized members who are given all of these promises, who are brought up in the faith, who are taught. And there are some people who receive all of those things and they don't receive them to love the Christ. They receive them to betray Christ that they would take all of that knowledge and you're secretly storing up all of the foolish accusations you have against Christians. Or you're storing up all, the, all those stupid things that Christians believe. Or you're storing up all of these things so you might use them as ammunition against Christ and his kingdom. We see this in the world. We see pastors who are raised up only to use all of that knowledge and power to to destroy the kingdom. I think of one pastor's son who, like, he has this great, great social media presence 
And what does he use it for? He uses it just to destroy Christians and, and Christ. All right, there is a reality that you can become the betrayer. I have hope for greater things, but do not think that you can get away with trying to destroy the Savior. All right, Judas does not get away with it. The kingdom goes on, and Jesus, yes, he submits to it for a time, but he will come out the ultimate victor. The betrayal of Jesus. Now let's look then at this other aspect to it. We see the betrayer, and then we see this angry mob that's risen against Jesus. How does Jesus react to the, to the angry mob as they come to him? Verse 46, they laid hands on him and seized him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, have you come out as me against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day by day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. All right, once again, the scriptures are being fulfilled. He's submitting to, the Lord's, to his father's will. That's what Jesus does. He submits to his father's will. And Isaiah 53, 12, what does it say? It says he has, to be, he has to be numbered with the transgressors. He doesn't just get to be a, an innocuous prophet. He doesn't just get to be this innocent guy. No, he has to be numbered with the transgressors so that he can, he can receive that accusation and for it to stick in some sense. That's what has to happen according to prophecy. And Jesus, he actually, he makes it happen. All right, so we have Peter here with a sword, cutting people. All right, why did he have a sword? Luke 22, 35. He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now, let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. He said, look, Lord, we're here. We have two swords. He said, it is enough. All right. Jesus made sure that here in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was facing his betrayers, that he had a couple swords among them. All right, why? Is it so that Peter could cut off the ear of the, the servant of the high priest? Right. No, no, it was not. I, I, I hate that I have to say this, uh, but there's some like really goofy interpretations of this going around. So we're just going to kind of nip this one as it, right now. Uh, this is not Jesus' endorsement of violence. This is not Jesus saying, hey, if, if you're ever in a place where you need to defend yourself, I, you're allowed to have a sword. All right. That is the most foolish interpretation of this, but it's the same interpretation the disciples have. So we'll give you a little bit of grace there. All right. Peter was like, oh, right, the sword. All right. Start cutting ears off. All right. No. What does Jesus say? He, first, he heals the guy, and then he says, no, you who live by the sword will die by the sword. The reason that he has a sword is so that Jesus could be numbered with the transgressors. So this might be fulfilled. If you're looking for this passage and, and looking for this reason that you, you can provide self-defense, all right, you're looking in the wrong place. 
Right? Just because someone has a Bible verse doesn't mean they're using it well or that it's well interpreted. All right, please be careful. This is foolishness. All right, if anything comes from this passage, it should say, you know what, yeah, have a sword, but don't use it. Show them that you have it. Say, yeah, you can, you can accuse me, but what, what is my weapon? My weapon here is not the sword. My weapon is the ministry of the gospel, and you know, you'll find me every Sunday doing that. And yes, I was advancing the kingdom. Yes, I was, I was waging war, and I was doing it in teaching, in sharing the gospel. That's what Jesus says to them. Jesus, he, he submits. He submits to these ones who would accuse him so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He does not strike out in violence. Right? That doesn't mean we're pacifists. If the state wants to use violence to wage war, they can do that. They're given that sword. And if you join the military, you can do that with, with clear conscience, knowing that the Lord has, has given you that power. He has not given that power to the church. And those who are trying to imitate Christ and say, you know what, let's, let's advance by, by destruction, all right, you have missed. You have missed the point of Jesus here. Jesus does wage war, but he does it with very different weapons. And so he, instead, he, he, he receives all of these accusations. He is falsely accused to be the, the transgressor. He's falsely accused to be the thief. And this is not like a burglar, okay? This doesn't say they're like, oh, you, you steal packs of gum in, in the, the Wawa's. No. What is this saying? This is like you're a marauder. You're a pillager. That your whole agenda here is to go around and just destroy things and take and steal. And as much as Jesus, he, he wears that somewhat. But he does point the finger. He says, you know, who's holding all of the clubs and the swords here? Who looks like the pillagers here? Who looks like they're hunting Frankenstein's monster? It's you guys, not me. He wants them to see that. He wants them to know that, that they are hypocrites. And that here is this one who is the great healer, who is the great prophet, who has gone forth pro proclaiming a peace with God by, by his own death. All right. He wants to make sure the accusations, they don't stick, but he will, willfully, he will, he will willingly receive them. And he goes on to receive them and receive them and receive them. He is tried as a plunderer, as a zealot, as a destroyer of the, the emperor the, and the empire. He's accused of, of saying that he will destroy the temple and, and overthrow the kingdom. He's thrown up and compared to Barnabas, or Barabbas. Barabbas. Barabbas is a zealot and a murderer and a a pilferer, a plunderer. And they say, you know, let, let Barabbas go free. Jesus is the one that we want. Let us kill Jesus. And we see Jesus, who, who sat at the right hand of his father, who is he strung up between, between two thieves, two plunderers, two murderers, on the cross. 
He did this to fulfill scriptures, to fulfill the plan, that he might become the, the perfection, the perfect one who fulfilled the law, who fulfilled all the commandments, fulfilled all the prophecies. He stepped into our place. Now I ask you, all right, is Jesus a pacifist? Is he a pacifist? All right. No. Jesus is not a pacifist. He's just fighting the right war. Jesus could have waged war with, and, and, and seen these guys, and he could have just literally blown them to bits. He could have called down legions of angels upon them. He could have defended his own pride. He could have defended his own honor. He could have defended his own glory. He could have defended his own innocence and lifted those, up, those things up, and he could have won that battle. He could have waged that war, and he would have won. Instead, Jesus submits to those things. He submits to the accusations. He submits to the betrayal so that he might wage the real war. The war with death and sin and the kingdoms of darkness. All right, Jesus is not a pacifist. Jesus is not a hippie. All right, he's just fighting the real enemy. He has the eyes to see what the, what the real battle is, and he takes it to them. And he takes it to them because he knows that we will not. And we do not. And because oftentimes we end up losing that battle when we wage it. Look at his disciples here. They all left him and fled, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. All right, so we talked about a lot of different interpretations. Hey, are we kind of like Jesus? Are we kind of like... Judas, all right, honestly, who, who are we most like in this passage? If you are a follower of Jesus, here's the followers of Jesus. If you want to know what your application is, it's, and who you are most like, it is these guys. And I remind them, okay, what just happened? In the Garden of Gethsemane, we just made a lot of promises. Before that, at the the very first Lord's Supper, they made a lot of promises like, I would never betray you. I would die for you. I would never leave you. And here they are running off with their tails between their legs. All right, this is the problem. All right, we have this weird guy. All right, let's talk about the weird guy. Uh, This young man. All right, we do not know who this is. If people know who this is, they're, they're just faking it, and they have a theory, and they like, like to talk about their theories. All right, some think it's Mark. We don't know. All right, we don't know. Honestly, I think it's there so we have a clear picture of, of what we look like before Jesus, who is, who is going to his death. All right, we look like the people who are just desperate to run away anytime we can. And this is the guy who, like, like this, this lizard, that loses its tail to save its life. All right, th- that's this guy. And to, to run away and escape this thing that Jesus willfully gives him over to, he would run away naked and ashamed. Naked and ashamed, totally humiliated, without any covering, without anything before him, totally exposed in all of his rebellion and sin. All right, that remind you of anyone? Yeah, a couple other people who sinned and are left naked and ashamed 
This is our, this is our legacy. This is Adam and Eve and all of the descendants. What's the big problem here? The problem is, yeah, we're supposed to go to war, and instead, we choose sin, and we choose self-protection, and we choose our own idolatry, and we're less naked and exposed and ashamed. We were supposed to go to war, and instead, we totally lose. That's why Jesus goes to war. That's why Jesus doesn't, doesn't say, you know, I'll, I'll fight my own battles and, and leave them behind. No, he says, no, okay, I will be the only one who is faithful. I'll be the only one who will fulfill these scriptures. No one else is going to fulfill them. And honestly, I'm fulfilling this one too. Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be, will be scattered. All right, this had to be fulfilled too. Humanity had to fail. Jesus had to be the only one left. Because that's the nature of where we stand before our God. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot wage the battle. We cannot win the war. That is why Jesus comes to fulfill it in our place. That is the application here. Is that Jesus comes to fulfill because you cannot. You cannot get rid of your sin. You cannot get rid of your shame and your guilt. We run from God. We run from his will, even when we make elaborate promises. That is where we stand, and that's why we have one who is faithful and who does keep them. And so we have Jesus dead on the cross, naked and ashamed in our place. He becomes the transgressor. He becomes the thief. Because that's what all of we, all, all of humanity is. That's who you are. That's who I am. And he knows he has to become those things and die in our place. All right. Well, let's look at one last passage that he fulfills. Ephesians four, eight through fourteen. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This is Psalm 80, uh, 68, 18. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, deceitful scheme. All right, why did we read that? What does that have to do with all this? All right, Jesus was the plunderer. He was the thief. He was the one who was going to go openly steal from a kingdom, but it was the wrong kingdom they were accusing him of. Instead, Jesus goes into the kingdom of darkness. He goes down... And he comes up having pilfered heaven, or sorry, pilfered hell itself. He goes down and he gets gifts for his people. And he leads us out of captivity. He goes and gets all of the, the victims of war. All of those who had been taken. And he goes down and he, he resurrects us in his wake. He is the plunderer who, who binds the strong man, goes into his house, and steals everything he has. 
He is the thief. He is not a pacifist. He's just winning and fighting the right war, the right battle. And what are all those gifts? What does he come bringing up? He brings up with us the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us to wage this war. He comes up with with grace and forgiveness. He comes up with a covering of shame and guilt. We are clothed in his own righteousness. We may be cleansed by his blood. He comes giving us the, the church and those who are equipped in the body to fight this war and to equip you that you might wage battle with Satan and you might not be just manipulated and thrown about with all of this foolishness. No, that you might be given the scriptures and be given faith and be given the truth so that you might battle and so that you might really believe and so that you might go fight. So that you might praise him and worship him and delight in him that he is the one who fulfills all of these scriptures. He is the one who fights for us and he is the one who wins. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, what is the war you wage? Is it with flesh and blood? Do you have a, do you, do you, are you willing to, to fight the way the kingdom is built? To fight by sharing the gospel. To fight by sacrifice. To fight by battling the, the schemes of Satan and the domains of darkness. Or are you going to settle for defending your own pride and innocence? For fighting the, for a standing in a world that is perishing? All right, let us follow Christ. Let us wage war. Let us build this kingdom as Christ called us to, that he may receive all the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, when you saw us losing this war, you sent Christ to win in the most unlikely of ways, to, to defeat evil by submitting that evil and then rising above it. Father, we ask that we might delight in Jesus, our Savior, that we might receive him as king, that we might see all that he has done and trust him and follow him, that we might stop trying to fight on our own, but we would battle filled with the Spirit, equipped with all of the salvation and righteousness and faith that we need given to us by Christ. And Father, would you have us, would you give us courage to, to wage the war that is before us in a way that is honoring to Christ, in a way that represents this same gospel power. Would you be with us, give us courage, and forgive us for all the times we run. Would you give us more faith, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.